Well, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, is where we'll be this morning. I'm Pastor Tim. It's good to be with you in person, and so glad that we're gathering together online, both places. Glad to see students in the balcony this morning. I'm going to try to, yeah, all right, it's good. I can't see you at home, but I'm glad you're at home, and uh, if you are at home, uh, just so you know, at the nine o'clock hour, if you are a student, if you're in preschool, if you have kids, well, if you're a kid or a preschool, you're not driving yourself, uh, but young families, we have life groups here, uh, and we are really grateful to do that for our worship gatherings. Uh, and so thank you for being here. It's good to see uh, young faces. That is exciting for me, especially because, you know, I don't know, I'm 35, and that's not that old, but it's the oldest I've ever been. And so, like, I know, Tim, you're not that old. And you, you're probably twice my age. It's fine. But, like, still, uh, it just is, is fun for me. It helps me stay young. That has nothing to do with today. Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Pastor Eric has been leading us through a sermon series on, what, uh, on, on the gift that we have in Jesus. And today we're looking at the gift of victory that's found in Christ. And uh, Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, is an incredible passage of Scripture that honestly I don't feel up to the task of preaching, but I'm going to try the best that I can. But in the event that I uh, uh, get off course in the sermon, and that the text doesn't come through as it ought to, and that God doesn't uh, 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 help me understand it. I pray that He helps you understand it. And what I hope that He helps us understand this morning is this, that the gift of victory is the gift of faith. The gift of victory is the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is the gift of victory. This is really important for us to understand. Because what we find in Scripture is that God is the ultimate gift. And God gives us Himself in Jesus Christ as the ultimate gift. He is greater than anything you could receive because his gift does something not just other than the good things you could imagine, but far beyond all the good things that you could imagine. And not just solving the issues that we have on earth. In fact, as followers of Christ, we know we have issues. At least I have issues, and I know y'all, and y'all have issues. And so we know that we have issues. We know we have financial issues. Hardships. We know that we have sickness and disease and death. We're wearing masks in a room as a reality of that. The greatest, most ultimate gift given in Jesus Christ not only overcomes all of that, also overcomes death and all of the things that lead to death and keep us from God. Listen, faith is the gift of of victory, because by faith all things that would destroy us 
in this life and that destruction defined as being separated from the greatest thing ever, God himself. The gift of faith gives us victory over all things in the end. If you don't believe me, read the end of the book. It's right there. God gives us victory through faith in Jesus Christ. But we don't always see that in this life. You see, um, Joshua, as we come into this text, has been exactly where he has been before. This is not his first time in the promised land. We understand in the book of Exodus, when God's people were captive in Egypt, that God freed them from bondage and brought them to the edge of the promised land and sent over 12 spies. Do you guys know this story? And of those that went, two of them were named Joshua and Caleb. Joshua came back and said, I've seen the promised land. It is full of good. We ought to go now. Caleb said the same thing, but the 10 said, no, 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 no. There's too many of them. It's too big. We can't cross over. They will crush us like grasshoppers. And the people of God rebelled against his plan and his purpose. And now, 40 years or so later, Joshua is sitting on the promised, on the side of the promised land, and he is about to lead God's people into the promised land. And the book of Joshua opens up with God himself affirming with Joshua that he would give Joshua the land. He promises him that there will be no man in that land that will ever be able to overcome you if you obey him and keep his laws. He promised that God would, God promised Joshua he would always be with them. God promised Joshua that he would be successful in overtaking, leading God's people to overtake the promised land if he were to not turn to the left or to the right of his laws and commandments. In fact, when Joshua sent, people, uh, sent two spies into Jericho in chapter 2, they find out that God, the people that were in the promised land were already shaking in their boots at the uh, rumor that God's people had crossed over into Canaan. They found, a, uh, uh, they found Rahab in Jericho, and here's her words. You've got to know this. These are consistent with others who come face to face with the reality that God is God and their God is not consistent with what is said multiple times previous to this moment. Here's her response in chapter 2. She says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the, two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the true God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. What Joshua found when he crossed over into the promised land with God's people is that God was already at work securing the victory that he had promised and that 40 years ago, Hebrews tells us, they did not enter the land because of unbelief. 
God's people are now entering the land, and the question is now, will we believe God's victory is ultimate this time? Let me ask you a question. What is the history of God's victory been in your life until this moment? And how would you define victory as a follower of Christ? You see, Joshua was standing somewhere where his people had failed 40 years before and as a leader was entering a context he had never been in before. And verse 13 opens up after Joshua has heard from God, received promises from God, watched God part the waters of the Jordan River, walked over on dry land, uh, sanctified, set apart the people of God through circumcision, taken Passover together to remember, help the people remember the God's commands and laws, obeying him and their, his faithfulness to God's people until that point. And now in verse 13, we are going to see how God is going to secure the victory in the promised land. But what we need to understand before we jump into this, or the question we need to answer is, what is victory going to look like? What do you believe victory looks like in your life as a follower of Christ? You see, if you're like me, sometimes we can define victory using what I call today a fantasy football theology of victory. Do you know what this is? No, you don't, because I made it up while I was preparing this week. Here's, here's how I play fantasy football. Just confession. I haven't watched a single NFL game this whole year. Like, I've seen bits and pieces of it, and uh, when my son says I want to watch football, uh, usually I put on a clip of highlights on YouTube because it's about eight minutes long, and he's three, and that's about his attention span. And so it's great, and then we move on with our day. I, I am a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, and I think, amen, yeah, and I think uh, that Gardner Minshew is the greatest quarterback of all time. That ought to tell you I know nothing about football, right? <laughs> nothing at all. I don't think the Cowboys are a good team. Well, okay, that might be accurate, but like every, <laughs> I know nothing about football. And in my fantasy football league, I'm winning and I don't know why. I'm doing good. Seth, I'm coming for you, right? I'm in second technically, but it kills my illustration. So I'm winning, right? I am kicking butt. In fact, last week I beat Lance and this week I'm going to beat Caitlin, who we all know her team is managed by Lance. So I'm going to beat Lance twice, who the guy that led worship today, super excited about that. Like, I'm going to win, and I have no idea why. I'm just making it up as I go. I know, like, generally what I'm supposed to do, and the goal is to score more points than the other team, and so, like, that's what I try to do, but I don't know who does what and why they do that. I look for green, and I let them play. That's it. That's all I got. Listen, sometimes our approach to the Christian life when it comes to walking in victory is similar to how I play fantasy football. We have no idea how to win. We don't even know what to do. We go along understanding, applying some general principles we've learned along 
the way, maybe following what other people do, but at the end of the day, you're winning as a follower of Jesus, whether you know it or not. And if you can realize what it looks like to live and walk in victory, I want you to know, you'll not only know what it looks like to win, you'll, look, you'll know what it looks like to thrive as you win. That's what this text is going to help us see. It's going to help us see how Joshua is going to go into the land of Jericho and the posture and position he begins with as he goes into the land that God has promised him. One more qualification before we get deeper into this text. Canaan is not America, and you and I are not Joshua. Please, 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 do not somehow, and I say this because I've already been rebuked this morning for it, do not apply this to the presidential election. Please don't do that. This, this is not that. This is ultimately how God is going to bring all authorities, all powers, all dominions under himself and your part in this. Joshua is a battle-hardened warrior who is the chosen assigned leader of God's people, the Hebrews, who will become Israel and the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is greater than Moses and Joshua, greater than the rest found in the promised land. Jesus is the ultimate gift. This is not a sermon about how to be, how to be an ultimate patriot. This is a sermon about how to be an ultimate follower of Jesus, embracing the ultimate gift. Thanks for letting me get on that soapbox for a minute. Now to this text. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 says this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. Now, I want you to picture this for just a moment. If you've been in the military, or if you have been in a fight before, or if you're a human and you uh, uh, just see clips on TV or just whatever, you know what someone looks like when they're ready to throw down. In our context, since people don't fight with swords anymore, this would be uh, they have their weapon out, trained on something, ready to get at it. In Joshua's day, if there was a sword drawn in a hand, that means they're about to get down to business. Joshua, who is the commander of the army of Israel, is face to face with somebody who, behold, that the, tech, the, the word means like, whoa, hey, this is pulling our attention here. Suddenly out of nowhere, behold, a man is standing with a sword in his hand and this battle-hardened warrior begins to take heed of what's in front of him. And here's his response. Here's what he goes. He looks at him and Joshua went to him and said, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? That's a fair question. 
Imagine if you were Joshua and you realized that your people had failed before. You're leading them to a place where they have never been to before to see the promise of God fulfilled that they've never seen fulfilled before. And suddenly there's someone standing in front of you that you don't know that scares you, sword drawn, ready to fight. And you look at him and go, wait a minute, are you with me or are you against me? What's going on here? Are you for our enemies or are you for me? And this is where the text gets good. Are you ready for the answer of this man with his sword drawn? He looks at Joshua and he says, no. That's what he says. Full sentence. No, full sentence. In fact, uh, if, if you were a geek or whatever and want to like look, he, he literally, the, the way that he says it, he, he says, everything you just said, completely negated and irrelevant. That, that's the form of the no that he uses here. Uh, it's uh, kind of like uh, nowadays these young people, you know, they use the phrase like nah bro, right? Or nah bra, which is what I would say. And I'm millennial, like just a confession or an embrace of something awesome. Like, like nah bra, in fact, Turn to the person next to you and say, nah, bro. Yeah, so here's what you just did. Next time someone says something that's just completely absurd or just straight up dumb, be like, oh, no, bro. Right, like, hold what you got makes no sense. Uh, imagine if you were a, uh, uh, if your kid comes to you. Now, I know, like, teachers are super encouraging, and, like, kids, you know, there's no, no such thing as a dumb question or whatever, but parents will tell you kids ask dumb questions, right? Like, they just do. They do. Kid comes to you with a dumb question, like, well, hey, are you going to let me do whatever I want, or are you going to work against me here? You're like, wait a minute. No, right? That's the answer. Or uh, let's just imagine for just a minute that you are uh, in the military, and your CEO comes in, and you say, well, listen, this is what I'm going to do. Are you going to be with me or against me? What do you think your CEO is going to say? Well, I can't tell you what he's going to say. I have to repent afterwards, right? Like, he, he, well, he might say nothing. He might tell the chief to get at it or whatever. Like you're, just, you're just going to get at it. You, he, I mean, it's, it, no. Like, it's, uh, no. Like, who are you to talk? Like, what is going on here? Oh, let's just imagine for a minute, you're your boss, right? Maybe you, you, you walk in or you're on your Zoom meeting and, uh, uh, and you open up and you're like, well, listen, um, boss, I, I see you're here. Uh, thanks. Um, here's what I'm going to do. Are you going to be with me or against me? Now, that's an odd moment, right? Now, maybe you, you don't break down my analogy. It breaks down at a certain point. I get it. You maybe have a good relationship with your boss or whatever. And like, but the, the point is that, that if your boss just said, uh, no, right? That, that's a full response. I know what it's like, uh, both in, in, in every realm that I've been in, in the military or in my family or uh, at work, to write a long email, and the response is one word, right? I mean, just, I had that, I had a chief that did that all the time, and then he'd walk away with his coffee cup. You see, in that moment, what that person in authority is doing is helping you see the basis of your question is completely missing something here. This is what this word no is. That's what the phrase nabra does, like <laughs> way off base, man. 
What Joshua is looking at this man who is threatening with his sword out and saying, are you going to be for us and against us? This person wants him to know you're missing something that makes your question completely irrelevant to what this is. What is that thing? This guy gives it to him in verse 14. No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And... Now I have come. You see, all throughout Scripture, God has promised that he would not only be with his people, but he would lead his people into the promised land. And every time God leads his people, his victory, God's victory, cannot be stopped. Every time God moves and is present, he remains undefeated every single time. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, did that stop God's plan? Absolutely not. When the whole world was wicked in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah, did that stop God's plan? Absolutely not. When Abraham and Sarah were barren and powerless and could not have kids, did that stop God's plan? Absolutely not. When Isaac had family issues or Jacob was a scoundrel or God's people were in bondage in Egypt or, uh, or, uh, or through Moses and the disobedience that was in God's people for 40 Years. Let me tell you something. When it comes to the commander of the army of the Lord, the scoreboard is always in his favor, and he has no losses. If he had a theme and a meme, it would be all I do is win, win, win. That's what this guy would be doing, because all the commander knows how to do is win, and he is there with Joshua, with his people. This is the one who leads the army of the Lord, not just the army of Israel. This is the one who has the keys to death. This is the one whom God promises in Exodus will lead God's people into Israel, who will speak as God, who will act as God, who will deal death and life as God, whom if they follow will grant them victory. This is the commander of the army of the Lord, and he has come. What does Joshua do? Look at what happens in the very next text. He says, it says that Joshua fell on his face and worshiped and says, what does my Lord say to my, what does my Lord say to my servant? Say to your servant. Do you see what happens here? Joshua realizes that God is present, that he just tried to ask God if he was going to be with him or against him, and that the response when you're in the presence of God is not, God, are you going to get in my way or are you going to help me out? Man, your response is worship. That's it. How do you define victory in your life? What God did to Joshua is what I hope he does to our hearts in the next few minutes. That he would bring us to a place to see 
that ultimate victory in our life is not asking God to join us or get out of the way in the agenda that we have. It's not laying out our priority list over what we believe needs to be done for our lives and saying, God, are you going to be for me or are you going to be against me in this? It's not hoping that in our life, we would see a massive amount of material and uh, 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 cultural success and the priorities that we may have. And do you know how I know that's not the definition of God's victory ultimately for your life? Because look in Scripture of those who lived in the victory found through faith in Jesus, and you will find that they were beaten that they were in jail, that they were losing their lives, that they were losing everything, that their lands are being plundered joyfully for the sake of God. You find even in the ultimate one whose name we bear, Jesus Christ, did he not lose his life to gain victory for all? I tell you today that faith is the gift of victory, and the faith in whom we follow has given his life for you and me, that our lives are no longer our own. Our personal victories are not uh, on account anymore. These are not the things we fight for. We alone submit to God and respond as Joshua. Now with the right way of thinking about victory, what would you have me do, God? What would you have me do? Now watch watch what the commander of the army of the Lord responds here, because this is so vital as we walk throughout our lives as followers of Jesus. The response when Joshua says, what would my Lord have me do? There's something that Joshua needs to take care of before God calls him to take care of the business of leading his people. You see, there's something wrong with Joshua that Joshua didn't know until God spoke in that moment. And it's this. Look at verse 15. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, this is after Joshua asks, what do you want me to do? He says, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. You see, Joshua had been so transfixed on the battle that was before him that he had missed the presence and reality of the person that was before him. And God in his incredible grace, again in the book of Joshua, reminding him that I am here and I am with you, gently corrects and says, right now, You're treating my presence in an unholy way. Take your shoes off, for where you are right now is holy. This is a biblically theological statement that says, you're in my presence, now begin to act and believe like it. Of course, this goes back to when Moses saw a burning bush, and as he began to approach, because he was curious, he heard a voice, God's voice from the voice, or God's voice from the bush, and he removed his feet, his, not his feet, his shoes from his feet, because where he stood was holy ground. Moses got a burning bush. 
Joshua gets a dude with a sword, right? Like I, I'm probably as less spiritual than Moses and not as spiritual as Joshua. I probably need like a dude with a sword for, to realize what in the world God is doing. That's what Joshua has right now. And now he's face to face or face to floor in front at the feet of a representation of God and God's authority. And he says, remove your shoes. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's the question. Right now, when it comes to victory in your life, if you were to define it as being at the feet of Jesus, as worshiping him, as being in his presence, what might he look at you and say, welcome to my presence. Take that away. You're on somewhere holy. Here's what my guess is. If you are like me, lately you have been so distracted by even battles that are perhaps morally good that you have forgotten the process of removing what ensnares you so easily of bringing an unholy attitude or just straight up sin into the presence of God. Here's what this text challenges us to do. If you're before the army, the commander of the army of the Lord, and he were to look at you, you're not Joshua, but this context is what God does to us in Jesus Christ and say, you're in my presence, but that, that, you need to remove it. What would that be? I texted Pastor Eric last week, and I said, I said uh, is this the text? And he said, yes, a complete sentence. It's a complete sentence. And, uh, and I said, I don't know, I said great or something. That's not what I was thinking, though. What I was thinking is, man, like this, this is a tough text. Because now I have to deal with the reality that I don't get to just go into the presence of God any way I want. I don't mean if you're a follower of Jesus that you have to get saved again. That's not what I mean, but you know what I mean. You understand the reality that as God's people, when we are in his presence, which is followers of Jesus, is all the time when there's an area of our life that he says, remove that because you're in a holy place. You're in a holy relationship with me. We get at it like someone whose hand causes them to sin, they would cut it off. Or I causes them to sin, they would pluck it out. We get at it like, uh, like our life depends on it because it does. You know, there's a group of people just after this that don't take seriously the holiness of God among his people. In fact, the chapter right after this, God destroys Jericho. Joshua, the commander of Israel, does nothing but obey. They march around, they do go in afterwards and get everyone, anything that was still alive after God was done. Like, they, they just obey. But God does all the fighting. But then what happens just a little bit after that is there's one leader of one family in one tribe of God's people that chooses to not obey the Lord 
and bring unholiness, allow it in his life and in his tent. As you go throughout the book of Joshua, it's this constant struggle of you are my people and I am with you, so put away these false things. Joshua, at the very end of his life, is, tells them, as you go on, would you continue to follow God? And they say, we will. Then he says, then, then remove the false gods from among you. It's a constant, constant battle for God's people. If you're in here today and you have an area of your life that is inconsistent with the command and call of God, I want you to know that you're not alone. God has made a way for you to take that off, and that is through the victory that is found in Jesus Christ alone. I want you to know that right now, if you do as Joshua does, and if you find yourself in a, with an unholiness in your life, sin against a holy God, and you're a follower of Jesus, this morning, right now, why don't you take some time to say, God, would you take that off of me? Maybe you need to make like some actual changes. I don't mean like in my heart, I'm going to stop sinning. I mean like actually remove something from your life. Y'all, I, here, confession, confession, this is where it gets real. I don't know how to be on Facebook and be holy. I have no idea how to do that. Like I can do it for like five minutes and then I'm just like angry or justifying my own sinful desires or coveting something or whatever, like, or wasting time instead of spending it with my, 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 uh, the priorities that ought to be in that moment or like looking at it instead of participating in staff meeting or just like whatever. Like I, I just, right, I don't know how to do that and be holy. That, I'm not, it's not evil, but for me, man, I need to figure this one out. I got to take that off. And what is it for you? So here's what, here's what Joshua does. Here's what Joshua does. Because this is, man, this is so important. It's not, hey, just like in your heart, just like take off your shoes, Joshua. Like, oh, in my heart, I'm going to do that. No, look, look, what he, look what he does at the end of verse 15. He says, and Joshua did so. He obeyed. This is active obedience. He's not only believing God, but walking in obedience to his commands. Y'all, that is the definition of faith from Hebrews 11.1. 1. You see, faith is the gift of victory. Because I know Jesus, I can believe in him and walk in obedience to him and trust him to do the rest. And this same victory that is yours in Christ, the gift of a victory that God has given you through faith in him by Jesus Christ. It's also the re-gift we get to give to others. The re-gift is living faithfully. Here's what I mean by that. Over and over and over in Scripture, it is Joshua's faith and trust in God that saves the people around him. Just like it was for Moses. Just like it was for Joseph. Just like it was for Isaac and for, uh, for Jacob and for Isaac and for Abraham and for Noah. And just like it is God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ that saves you, you now have a gift 
to give others, just as Joshua is a faithful example for his people to look at and follow, you, as you continue to walk in faith, to not only believe God, but act in obedience to him, to continue to take off the sin that ensnares you, to continue to live a life that sees Jesus as greatest and most, as you continue to fall down and worship him, even at the loss of everything, the testimony that's given to others, as that is what it looks like to know and trust God. The best gift you can give your family, the best gift you can give your friends, the best gift you can give your Facebook followers, those that are online, those that are in your community, those that are in work, is letting them not only hear Jesus, but also see Jesus in you. And the process to get there. Do you want to do that this week? The process to get there is realizing that Joshua's experience with the commander of the army of the Lord is where you are today in an even greater way. The presence of God in your life by faith, giving you victory, teaching you to take off sin so that others would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So what do we do with this? Well, first, if you're a follower of Jesus and there is sin in your life, man, I'm telling you, cut that out. It will kill you. Like, there's just, there's no way around that. It will kill you. If you're a follower of Jesus, man, sin never, ever, ever works out for you. God may choose to show grace, but he can also show justice. And he can do both of those because of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, I ask you, as a pastor, as a, fo- as a fellow brother in Christ, would you lay that before the Lord and say, God, cut that out of me. Figure out what's causing you to sin and cut that out. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what we're going to do in this moment. Realizing that we are before him and now we say, okay, what do you want me to take off? And then do it. And then do it. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's Let's just go into that right now. If you're not a follower of Christ, man, I got something different for you in just a second. But if you are a follower of Jesus, let's apply this text right now. Let's live by Joshua's example, knowing we have the greater promise than the promised land in Jesus Christ himself. What would you say today God would say is unholy and needs to be cut out. Spend some time talking with him about that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that there are two ways in this life. It isn't the way of Joshua. It isn't the way of Moses. It isn't the way of Adam. It isn't the way of Peter or Paul. It is the way of God and every other way. And I want you to know that what the Bible tells us is that everyone, everyone, everyone has gone their own way and not God's way. 
and that everyone who is born is born with the desire to go their own way and not God's way. That the problem with us in our natural state is not that we do the wrong things, it's that we are wrong and that yields the wrong things. In other words, in scriptural language, we are sinners, therefore we sin. We are born apart from God, but here's the good news. The gospel is that God knows you're a sinner, knows that you sin. And just like Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joshua and Adam, in Christ, he will take the penalty of your sin and give you his perfect life. Here's what scripture tells us. That in the gospel, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're separated from him by sin, which is everybody who's never believed in Jesus Christ, God tells us that he demonstrates his love for you, even while you're a sinner, his love for you and that while you were a sinner, he sent Christ to die for you. And that here's how this works that Christ becomes sin. You know why? Because your sin. Christ becomes sin, even though he knew no sin, so that you might become the perfect standard, the righteousness of God in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. So I want you to know that if you're in here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, it's not like you got to take your shoes off. It's like you need to be washed from head to toe, made new from top to bottom, brand spanking new from crown to rump. You need to not just be made better, you need to be made like God, brand new in him. Would you today embrace and accept the gift of faith that you too would walk in ultimate victory that none of your family can take away, that none of your issues can take away, that none of your history can take away, that nothing in your future can take away, that not even death can take away, that you may live forever with him. Would you believe in Jesus and be saved? If that's you, whether you're in here or at home, as others who are followers of Jesus are asking God to help them walk more faithfully, today would you begin a walk by faith by asking God to forgive you of your sin. In fact, wherever you are, if that's you and God is telling you that needs to be you, would you right now pray to God and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent Jesus to die, become my sin, and pay the penalty of sin for me. I ask God that you would forgive me of my sin and that you would raise me up in Christ 
to walk in holiness with you. I want you to know if you pray that, God hears. In Scripture, He turns His ear away from people who think they're holy but are walking in wickedness and turns His ear towards those who are wicked and desire Him to walk in holiness. God hears you when you pray that. And if that's you, and you're in here in just a few minutes at the end, we'll have people that we'd love to talk with you. If you're online, we would love to know that you prayed to receive Jesus. In fact, you can email pastor at firstnorfolk.org. We'd love to follow up and talk with you about what that means more. Now let's go to the Lord and respond to Him in our last song of worship. We'll pray, and then let's all walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like Him than when we came in. Father, we thank You for this time where we get to hear Your Word and study Your Word. Lord, we thank You for the gift of faith that is the gift of victory. Lord, we know that faith is believing you and acting in obedience. Father, we thank you that you save us and that you walk with us even when we as followers of Jesus stray away from the path you'd have us on. Father, help every believer in here to walk in holiness because of you and your presence this morning. Father, I pray that every lost person that hears this sermon this morning would be saved. God, would you wrap them up and not let them go to see the love that you have for them and that you overcome all things. And Lord, help them to respond in faith. Be with us now. Receive this worship as pleasing to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.